Amber Dreams, Chapter 1. Isabella propped her sketch to dry against the wall at the back of her bunk. The smooth sailing of the day reassured her that it wouldn't topple over. Propping the sketch on the bunk wasn't ideal, but in her few days aboard the passenger ship Nomadic, she hadn't discovered a better place in the third-class berth. She shared the tight quarters with three other young ladies. Hetty Rufford's climb to the top bunk still disconcerted her, but chattering with new friends was an unexpected benefit. Luck had flown with her when she finished her portrait for the Dowager Lady Malvays much earlier than anticipated. The booking office had recorded a cancellation the morning that she arrived to ask about an earlier berth. She sent blessings to whoever had canceled their reservation, for she would join Maddock a month earlier than originally planned. A voyage of 40 days, with an additional five days ashore in Port Syed, waiting to transfer to a ship that plied the Indian Ocean, would be no great matter. She slipped into her strappy heels, then fluffed the gathered skirt of her black frock before stepping to the mirror mounted above the tiny washstand. As lovely as that frock is, Netta Cortland shared, swinging a slippered foot as she lounged on the lower bunk. You'll need something more, Isabella. You will certainly need more for a stroll on the deck under the moonlight. She turned another page in the fashion magazine she'd confiscated from the first-class reading room. Isabella gave an inelegant snort. No moonlit strolls for me, but I will take my India shawl. She retrieved the brightly colored wrap from her bunk and shook it loose from its folds. Are you certain that you'll be fine here? Fine alone, she meant, for on the past evenings they'd dined together, braving the crowded second-class dining room to enjoy a bland meal more filling than tasty. The secretary lifted her dark gaze from the glossy pages. The steward will bring a tray, and I intend to enjoy a few hours alone. Not even Hetty or Caro should disturb me. She added, naming the roommates, Go on, you will be late, but you will not be an auspicious beginning to an evening with Mr. Ingram. You have his invitation. You will need it to enter the first-class dining room. Isabella waved her silver-beaded purse. I have it here. You are certain, Netta? The secretary rolled her eyes, then straightened from her lounge on the lower bunk. She tugged the silky flamboyant wrap onto her shoulder. Stop havering over this opportunity to enjoy first class. Isabella laughed and went. The trek from third class sent her along narrow passageways and up three flights of stairs to reach the promenade deck above the main deck. The Nomadic was a larger ship in the British Asia Oceanic Navigation Line. With a single funnel and four masts, it was considered one of the premier ships traveling from Britain to the Mediterranean Sea. BAON offered four types of accommodation to passengers. Gold Star denoted first-class passengers with staterooms on the promenade deck and the first deck. Silver and Bronze Star meant second- and third-class passengers. The majority of those traveling, these passengers were housed in the second two lower decks. The Red Star fourth-class, smallest contingent aboard, were deeper into the ship, rarely emerging into areas shared by the other passengers. British Asia Oceanic prided itself on its treatment of all passengers, 
but Red Star lacked any amenities, including a dining room. They had only a canteen and had to eat in their cramped dormitory-style berths. Maddock had warned Isabella not to take a fourth-class berth. She had saved money with a third-class berth, considering what was acceptable for the servants of first-class passengers would be acceptable for her. Thus, she met Netta Cortland, secretary to the wealthy financier Hyatt Ingram, and two personal maids, Hetty Rufford and Cairo Martin. She rarely saw Hetty and Cairo, but she and Netta had formed an alliance. After a working lunch with her employer, Netta had spotted Isabella on deck with her watercolors. The secretary had guided Mr. Ingram to meet her new friend. This evening's invitation to the first-class dining room was the result. That encounter, Isabella suspected, was a carefully planned subterfuge to win time away from a demanding employer. She didn't begrudge Netta's season a chance for solitude. Like a little city on the ocean waves, the nomadic was crowded, with few places for a solitary retreat. Of the four in their shared berth, only Isabella was not at someone else's beck and call. While she relished deciding how to spend her free hours, she sympathized with her three roommates, working as hard aboard as they would on land. In the first-class dining room, hundreds of candles softened the ship's harsh light. Floral arrangements graced the tables. China and crystal and silver sparkled on crisp white linens. Isabella followed the maitre d' to a prominent table already half-filled. The sommelier listened to Mr. Ingram's instructions. She assumed the other two at the table were his son and grandson, mentioned this afternoon. The men rose as the steward drew out a chair on the table's long side, one of four. Charming, charming, the financier murmured. Approaching his seventies, he still looked hell, eyes clear and bearing upright. Mrs. Tarrant, my son Sheridan, my grandson Colfax, Mrs. Maddock Tarrant, the artist. Sheridan Ingram had his father's long face and neat appearance, but pouches beneath his eyes and forming jowls hinted at dissipation. He gave a hearty pleasantry, which Isabella returned. The grandson barely lifted his eyes from the table. Colfax Ingram had a couple of inches on his father. The pads in his jacket couldn't hide his narrow shoulders. The men started to sit, only to stand again as others reached the table. Leading the way was an elderly woman in black crepe de chine with a floral georgette swath at the neckline and over the skirt of her gown. With her silver hair piled high, sparkling with diamond pins, she looked to have more than a decade on Hyatt Ingram. Following her, and quick to draw out her chair as hostess, was a man with a thin mustache and a military bearing. Isabella couldn't place his age. Somewhere in his thirties, Coming last was a fashionable couple of Sheridan Ingram's age, Mr. and Mrs. Neil Gallagher. He wore a cerise tie and matching pocket square with his white dinner jacket. Mrs. Gallagher's gown, a sheath with a flared skirt, matched her husband's flash of cherry pink. Two chairs still remained empty. As Isabella exchanged greetings with the newcomers, she wondered who had yet to appear. Their hostess was Lady Cyrilda Peverell, Isabella knew the name, for her roommate, Hetty Rufford, was the woman's maid. The military man, Colonel Emerson Worthy, took the chair on Isabella's right. Mr. and Mrs. Neil Gallagher separated, 
the man to Mr. Ingram's left and his wife to Lady Peveril's right. At first glance, Isabella had thought him older than his wife, but as he spoke across table to Sheridan Ingram, ignoring the sulky grandson, she adjusted that age downward, deeming the nearer in age to Colonel Worthy than her own of twenty-five. As the steward served a chilled cocktail, two women arrived to take the last seats at table, the one in a flurry of crocheted shawl and flywood curls with threads of gray, was Miss Arabella Swandon. She tittered about her tardiness and difficulties with finding the table and gave a hello to everyone, repeated to Koufax beside her until he deigned to look up and nod. From that, Isabella guessed that only the Ingrams and Lady Peveril always had this table. The others must shift around at will for each dinner. The svelte woman strolled behind Miss Swandon. She waited for her chair to be withdrawn, done with alacrity by Colonel Worthy. Over a simple chemise of aubergine, she wore a haute couture gown with beaded embellishments on the elaborate embroidery. She introduced herself as Mrs. Phoebe Drake. Isabella expected the able colonel would ignore her to attend to Mrs. Drake, but he surprised her. He gave them both equal attention as the courses progressed through consomme, baked cod and butter, then a ragout of oxtail. The entree was an excellent beef tornado. She enjoyed it even more when she recalled last night's curried chicken and rice, preceded by a rice soup, followed by a rice pudding. With a bite in her mouth, though, the conversation turned to her. She should have expected it. Lady Peveril had speared the others at table, course by course. The Gallaghers were queried during the cocktail and soup, Mrs. Drake during the fish, and Miss Swandon during the ragout. She swallowed her bite of beef as Mr. Ingram explained how she came to join their table. An artist, Lady Peveril frowned, a minatory gaze looking for a flaw in Isabella's appearance. What brings you aboard ship? She gave a silent thanks to her friend Flick Sherborne for the paisley shawl and to her sister-in-law Cecilia for the Landman-style frock, simple elegance in black satin woven to resemble silk. The elderly woman's eagle eyes had likely spotted the expensive fabric. Isabella lifted her chin and gave a smile that belied her jitters. I sail to join my husband in India. A planter, Sheridan Ingram leaned forward to look up table. With which company? He's not a planter. He's with Trendenant Builders. Colonel Worthy, Hunt. Road building, he informed the others. A contract in Australia, isn't it? Her view of the colonel warmed. It is, but I know very little. Maddock has only been employed with Tredenant since the new year. Tarrant, Tarrant, Neil Gallagher tapped his knife on his plate. I've heard that name. Read it in the newspapers. Eyes swiveled her way. She swallowed air this time. Only careful maneuvering would keep the topic away from salacious gossip about murders, the arrest of Frederick Petrie and Nigel Arkwright, and Cecilia Arkwright's subsequent marriage to Maddox's brother, Gawain. My brother-in-law is a renowned archaeologist, Professor Gawain Tarrant at St. George's University. He is publishing a series of articles about his archaeological dig on the island of Crete. I did the drawings with the articles. Pen and ink, the colonel asked, and watercolors. I saw you working this afternoon. Do you use any other medium? Before she could answer, Mrs. Gallagher asked, Do we dock at Crete? 
It would be fascinating to visit an actual archaeological dig. We would touch history. I've seen one of your paintings, Lady Peveril declared, an oil of young Edward Malbay's. Yes, my lady, I completed that portrait in the last month. To have seen it, you must be well acquainted with the dowager Lady Malvays. It hangs in her private suite at the family estate. She was most pleased with your work, Mrs. Tarrant. She advised all of us to commission you before you sailed for the South Seas. I escaped all commissions, my lady. I had to finish my work for Professor Tarrant and a few pen and inks for Tony Carstairs. He offers my work in his gallery. Is it a nice portrait of the Malvays boy? Miss Wanden asked. He's the only one still alive after the war, isn't he? The Dowager Peveril ignored the interruption. She said you were not the usual artist. A raised voice at a nearby table stopped any reply. You do not have my permission to write to him, a man declared. The comment drew the eyes of all who had heard, passengers and stewards alike. Koufax Ingram turned in his seat while Isabella's side of the table watched without displaying such rude interest. The couple were smartly dressed. The young woman wore a stylish embroidered peacock gown. A glittering tie-pin detracted from the understated elegance of the man's crisp suit. As he berated her about her role as a Stratford bride, Isabella didn't envy them at all. The young woman had lowered her gaze to her plate. Her murmured response did not reach their table nor did it placate her companion. He withdrew white rectangles from an inner pocket and cast them down. One fluttered open to land on the daisy-filled posy. Then he drew out an envelope and waved it under his wife's nose. What do you have to say for yourself? At the snap in his voice, Isabella flinched. She wanted to look away, yet her gaze was captured by the train wreck. The Gallaghers and Miss Swanden had twisted around, copying Colfax rude and obvious staring. The bride reached for the envelope, only to have the man snatch it back. You dare write to him after, he lowered his voice, hiding the words, although not his harsh tone. Colonel Worthy started from his seat. Mrs. Drake put a hand on his arm. Hyatt Ingram loudly cleared his throat. Steward! The man looked up then. When he saw the censure coming from multiple tables, he flushed red. His chair scraped the floor as he stood. He tossed the envelope onto the table before he strode out. In a flurry of jerky actions, the young woman hastened after him. The whole room watched. When the doors closed, talk resumed, loud and clattery in the first moments, before settling down as people overcame amazement. We shall see what we shall see, Lady Peveril intoned. The steward had arrived. More wine, the elder Ingram ordered. The man lifted a hand, and a younger steward appeared with a new bottle. He uncorked it and poured a mouthful, which he offered to Mr. Ingram for approval. Everyone watched him taste the wine. He commented to Mr. Gallagher and the colonel about the vintage. The first steward moved away as the younger one began filling goblets with the new wine. A cabernet, Mr. Ingram informed them. You will enjoy it with the beef. Oh, my, Miss Swanden fanned herself. I usually have only one glass at dinner. The financier smiled like a benevolent uncle bestowing a treat. Tonight you will have two. Lady Peveril lifted a finger, and the first steward bent to listen to her. 
Then he stepped to the abandoned table. His body blocked his action, but when he returned, he handed the folded notes and the letter to the elderly lady. She slipped them into her beaded purse. Her gaze then speared Isabella. Mrs. Tarrant, you and I shall have a talk in the morning at eleven o'clock in my stateroom. That sounded ominous. Isabella could give only one answer. Of course, Lady Peveril, 